Today, we have a very special interview moment. Today, we are joined by a voice you might recognize. He has been working in the voice acting scene for years. Video games, TV, anime, and much more. You may know him as the voice of Dr. Eggman, or maybe the narrator from Pokemon. And even a personal favorite of mine as Adon Klobowitz from Berserk. He is the one and only Mike Pollock. Welcome to the show, Mike. Right. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. I've heard of me. All of those things sound familiar. <laughs> I, guess, I guess before we even start, out of those three, do you have a favorite voice of yours? Um, it's a popular question, and the politically correct and uh, economically correct question is, I don't play favorites. I love working. So Ooh. whatever I happen to be doing at the moment is the greatest role ever. And That's my favorite role will always be the next one. I like that one. I like that one. Thank you. Uh, so moving in, though, uh, we are a video game show, so I figure we start with the most obvious question. Um, have you gotten much experience with video games? And if you do, do you have a favorite game, be it Sonic the Hedgehog or Pokemon or something else? It's a trick question. Again, I'm chock full of trick questions. Um, I'm not a gamer, at least not at this age. When I was a kid, I would be found in the arcade playing Trivia Whiz, which... Ooh. In retrospect, sounds pretty lame, but when I was a kid, it was right up my alley. It was a multiple choice trivia question game, and it was back in the, let's say, early 80s, um, and it was so poorly programmed that there was such a small pool of questions that I would memorize the uh, entertainment category and eventually reach the top of the leaderboard purely because, because I've seen all the questions and answers before. Uh, not proud of it, but that was that. Um, these days, I am uh, much more likely to be appearing in a game if I'm lucky, but I am not a gamer as far as playing games. Fair enough. Fair enough. Thank uh, you. You've appeared in enough to kind of not need to play them, to be honest. Uh, but exactly. going to your early career, I think, uh, obviously, Please. you started your uh, you started working in radio early on. How did you find yourself there? And how did I guess you find yourself transitioning from radio into voice acting? Radio was one of my earliest loves as a child. I grew up enjoying the theater of the mind. Uh, I grew up in the 70s, past the golden age of radio drama and radio comedy in the 40s, I guess. Um, but I found replays of them on local radio stations. And I said, well, these are quaint and cool and slightly dated, but still fun to listen to. And I wanted to be on the radio, either uh, being a disc jockey of a sort or being in commercials and doing the wacky voices and amusing people. Uh, the second love running parallel to that was a love of theater. So I did theater at school and uh, I realized once I could get into radio that I could do theater in radio. And I would appear in commercials and comedy bits. Did that for uh, several years until radio decided they'd had enough of me, kicked me to the curb. And I was able to take my radio experience and collection of uh, voice work from commercials and comedy bits, turn it into a demo reel, shopped it around, and found out folks in uh, Pokemon liked me, uh, uh, folks in various anime liked me, and I was able to fall back on the secondary career that was right in front of me all the time. 
Lovely, lovely. I hope they didn't kick you to the curb too hard because our next question is still sticking on the uh, topic of radio. And a pretty simple sure. one because we are a, a youth community radio station. I just wanted to ask, what advice would you specifically give to anyone looking to uh, look into radio or maybe someone who's in radio maybe looking to make that transition into voice acting? The corporate world and the, at least here in the States, the consolidation of radio has not been good for the radio of my youth. Um, big conglomerates buy many local radio stations and automate the uh, heck out of them. And uh, all of the local talent gets replaced by national people, uh, either in real time or the dreaded voice tracking where I'm going to record all the breaks and let the computer put them together with a radio show. Wow, that's great. Um, there is still life, bring life to radio. If you're doing radio, whatever characters in comedy and creative commercial work, bring, bring life back into radio. And if, if radio kicks you to the curb, um, there is uh, standalone voiceover work. You can don't restrict yourself to animation. Lots of people find that is the most uh, glittery, attractive thing. Ooh, fame, fortune cartoons. But there is so many, there are so many levels of voiceover work, narrations, corporate stuff, um, e-learning stuff, um, audio books and reading for the blind. And just there's so much stuff that you can bring life to with your voice beyond radio. That's not necessarily animation, but if animation is what you have your, your eyes on, by all means, go for it. But don't restrict yourself. I will do video games and cartoons but I'm still auditioning all the time for commercials and narration stuff and whatever can't voice itself. I will be happy to. That was a wonderful answer. Actually a lot more than I uh, was expecting. She answered the next question on me, but I guess <laughs> we'll move forward. You did mention um, the start of your career and one of the uh, earliest roles from what I was able to research was part of a show called Kirby right back at you. How did you find yourself in that role? And I guess, what did you pick up from that? early experience or one of your first experiences in proper voice acting that was in the magic of networking uh, the first two big gigs i booked one was a walk-on on pokemon can it be a walk-on if it's animation i guess i don't know a cameo on pokemon <laughs> and the um one before that was demon fighter kocho an obscure one-off anime ova you can find it i guess you can buy it for nostalgic purposes but the Pokemon thing was being produced by 4Kids Productions. They were in the process of building out their Saturday morning children's block on the Fox box and ultimately 4Kids TV. And they needed voices to fill the rest of their shows. So they brought me in to cast stuff on Kirby Right Back At Ya, uh, Ultimate Muscle, ultimately Sonic X and Viva Pinata. And they had me doing promo stuff. So I was doing a lot of the promos for the early years of the Fox box. And that was a wonderful synchronicity experience. I think that's the right word. It is now. And Kirby Right Back at you was my first recurring series role, such as it was. I was the mayor, and I was eventually cast as well as Samo the bartender. And that was great because there's booking a role is a great thing. Getting to return to the role week after week, even better. So I got, I was able to build a character, develop a character or two, and see where they went, see where life took them. And that was fun. 
Yeah, yeah, that was um, uh, someone who caught that show a little bit on a couple DVDs. It was very surprising to see that you were a part of it, and a big fan of it, actually. But Thank you. Obviously, you did mention Sonic X, and we'd be remiss not to talk about your role uh, that you've kind of become very synonymous with. Of course, that's being Dr. Sure. Eggman. Um, Absolutely. So, how did you find yourself in the role of Dr. Eggman? A little more networking. The producers of Kirby Right Back At You also were producing the dub of Sonic X. We had a super secret all hands meeting of uh, four kids voice talent, which never happened because we were all freelancers and we would all come and go like, a, like patients at a doctor's office. You're here two to three. You might be next door, three to four, then get out of here, do whatever else you're doing. We get other people to see. But they gathered us all together for a meeting to tell us about, among other things, we've gotten the license to Project X. We can't tell you what it is, but here's a graphic that's been all uh, blacked out, so you'll have to guess. It turned out to be Sonic X. The producer of Kirby Right Back At You, Michael Hagney, knew my work from, obviously, from Kirby, and was very interested in uh, having me read for Dr. Eggman. He sent me clips of Dean Bristow from uh, one of the recent games to voice match, took it home, went, I'm Dean Bristow, went in for an audition. It seemed okay. They weren't convinced, I guess, at Sega. Uh, came in for a callback. Uh, I'm Dean Bristow. There was another callback after that. And I guess the third time was the charm. And they said, yeah, you'll do. And there I was. And then a few weeks into production uh, on our maybe second or third round of episodes, uh, the character of Ella the Maid came up and they had not cast Ella the Maid. So the producer jokingly said, let's have Mike do it. And I looked at the director and producer with a, huh? okay, do you know what you want? I'm kind of uh, Latin infused, but not too heavy and inoffensive. Okay, how about this? I'm out of the maid. Now nah, we'll get back to you. Came back the following week. How about that all of the maid thing, huh? Now we got someone else to do it. Okay. And then the week after that, oh, and by the way, you're all of the maid too. Okay. And there we were. Lovely, lovely. I, I, I will say researching, um, I guess, the voices for Sonic X, it was a big surprise to see you also did Ella. But again, massive fan of that role. But uh, Thank you. moving in, though, obviously you did take over, I guess, the animated role for Dr. Eggman, kind of moving forward for, I guess, up until the present, at least. Did you look back at some of the older versions of the animated Eggman and maybe... Because your version was the first real comedic version, uh, or mm -hmm. one with a comedic tone. Do you have this? Have any inkling of maybe wanting to ever try, or having to wanted to have tried uh, playing a more serious, um, almost scary kind of Doctor Eggman? He has his serious moments. Sonic 06, as reviled as it is, uh, is a definite different take on Eggman from the previous several years. In, I want to say, oh, I should know which game it is. Unleashed, I think, has uh, some uh, very darkly toned performances that are different from my norm in the role. So I follow the script. If Sega wants him to be comedy, I'm quite happy to give him comedy. But I'm a full-service actor, so if they want drama and menace, just say the word. But if they don't say the word, and I give menace where it should be comedy, that doesn't work well. So I got to... Make sure I'm following the, the, the theme of the script and the desires of the director and the production team. Fair enough, fair enough. So, moving forward, obviously, Sonic the Hedgehog, you know, it's one of the most famous game, video game franchises of all time. How does it feel to be a, a major part of that? 
It's definitely a footnote to history, if nothing else. It's very cool. It's a great, great fun and a great honor. Um, I take the kids to the video game store because you have to when you have kids. And I see Sonic games on the shelves and I say, I'm in that. I'm in that. And that's really cool. Um, I am delighted that they've agreed to keep me this long. I'm at their disposal for however long they want me and for whatever future promise prom, projects they may want me, but I'm, I'm there if they need me and want me. Fingers crossed. They keep you uh, along for a lot longer. Thank uh, you. Has the character grown on you? Because as we, as we said, you've been doing it since I believe 2003 actually. And uh, ha, yeah, has the character grown on you and how do you feel about the, uh, I guess the good doctor? It's been very cathartic. If I go into the room to do Dr. Eggman and I've had a bad day, yelling my brains out makes you feel a lot better. A uh, little, uh, little hard on the throat after some sessions, but that's why lozenges were invented. But it is always a pleasure to, to uh, indulge the whims of Sega whenever they want me for anything. So they should call more. <laughs> Noted, noted. We'll, if, if we ever get a hold of Sega, we'll mention it. Perfect. Uh, so, yes, yeah, Sonic has, um, of course, been in many a media form nowadays. Have you found the different writing styles of Sonic to change how you approach the voice? The only real difference was when Sonic 06 came along, because I've been doing Sonic X for so long, being three years at that point. Uh, <laughs> I guess that's so long, even two and a half years. And... They showed some imagery of the redesigned Dr. Eggman to let me see what was going on. And my reaction, as I recall, was, well, that's different. And then when I first saw the script and started reading the opening lines and the allusions to violence, I said, I guess we're not going for comedy here. Okay. How's this tone? <laughs> Great. All right. There you go. So I enjoyed the challenge of seeing what's in the script and matching what's needed. One more question on, I guess, the voice acting specifically for Dr. Eggman. Uh, in 2015, the Japanese voice actor, I'm going to butcher this pronunciation and I apologize, uh, but Chika O Aotsuka passed away. He's not here. Um, <laughs> that was true, cool. true, true, true. Um, yeah, he's not going to correct you. What's his heart? <laughs> true. True, but um, he did pass away in 2015, and often with, I guess, reoccurring roles, the role will change or slight directions will change after a Japanese uh, voice actor passes. Did you find that to change your work at all? No, because I take my lead from the production team when they come in. They would have mentioned that they had a specific tone in mind, and that's never been the case. Fair enough, fair enough. All right, so I guess we'll move on to your opinions on the Sonic movie. Obviously, Dr. Eggman uh, was portrayed by Jim Carrey. What was your opinion on, I guess, the initial news about the Sonic the Hedgehog movie and Jim Carrey taking over um, Eggman, a character that you are very much synonymous with? I was certainly well-informed when that news broke. Uh, Twitter was all over it. My notifications blew up, as the kids say. And... The thing about the movie is it's a completely independent thing that has yet to involve me. So they are completely entitled to cast whoever they choose. Could have been me, I guess. Didn't happen to be. I'm a full service actor, but apparently not for them. <laughs> That's the joy of the casting process. You, you, when you're lucky, you book a role. And if you don't book a role, you book uh, something down the line. So he made people happy and I'm glad for, for him and the happy people. <laughs> Fair enough. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to assume, given that answer, that uh, Mr. Carey didn't reach out to you at all for any advice or tips on how to play the character. Nope. And the feeling is mutual. I did not reach out to him. Fair enough. Fair enough. If he, if he needed me, I'm quite available. He didn't need me. 
No, that's fair. That's fair. Um, I guess with that, we'll move on to uh, another very famous franchise that you were a part of uh, in Pokemon. Uh, So in between the years 2004 and 2006, you worked as the Pokemon narrator. Uh, Mm -hmm. How did you find that gig specifically? um, And what brought you to keep coming back to that one? Because it's a very, at least for me, it's a very iconic role. Uh, especially in that time frame. There were uh, some staffing issues where the original narrator stepped away and I was uh, nominated to voice, uh, I believe Pokemon Jirachi Wishmaker was the first narration I did. And then they said, and by the way, you're going to be in for the uh, series. Okay. So fortunately, the director uh, was very good at handholding me through the pronunciation of various Pokemon names. Um, and keeping me informed on what I was talking about because I had little to no idea most of the time. And um, they kept coming back uh, and having me return until uh, four kids lost the license and it moved away. And uh, we had a a wonderful thing called a non-compete clause. So for two years, I couldn't work on Pokemon if I wanted to. Well, I could have, but had I, that would have made the folks at four kids very annoyed. So... Mm. I let Pokemon go on its way, and when uh, two years elapsed, I was uh, asked to rejoin for some uh, repeat visits and some new stuff. So Pokemon keeps calling every once in a while. Speaking of some of those repeat visits, uh, you've done something that I've always imagined would be a lot of fun to do in in Pokemon as voice actor, uh, as a voice actor even. Uh, You've voiced multiple Pokemon themselves. Uh, Please enlighten us on that experience, and was it just grunting, essentially? It's uh, challenging. It's more challenging sometimes than I wish it was. I like words, so I much prefer things with words. Creatures is a category. You know, some people have creature reels where it's just, (laughs) it doesn't, my brain is not wired to not have words. So for Pokemon, when you're playing Pokemon, you're saying your own name over and over and over in different ways. And it's one of the joys of dubbing, especially in all voice acting. It can get a little clinical. So it's not like a play where you're watching it all unfold in real time. There's a lot of stopping and starting and massaging. And let's try that again. Let's try that a third time. Let's do it till we get it right. So for the Pokemon, it's very much, here's the subtext of what the Pokemon might be saying. Okay, how's that? Eh, let's try it this way. Eh, okay. And again, you do it till you get it right. It's as much an honor as working on anything and voicing anything. But really, I like complete sentences, <laughs> given, given the choice. So That's fair, yeah. it, it's, it's a challenge one that I'm not necessarily keen on doing by choice. But if I'm nominated, I'll happily serve. Fair enough. Fair enough. And you mentioned, of course, um, earlier the previous voice actor for Pokemon. That, of course, at least for my generation, the po- people who most likely be listening to this show, uh, is a is a very very iconic voice. Was there any stress or stressful feelings taking over from a voice that was doing that role for as long as they had been doing? Throughout my career, even up to that point, I have replaced and I have been replaced. And as crass as it may sound, that's just business. I've had desk jobs where I've been replaced as well, and it's just business. Work is about competence. This. Interim narration was not necessarily about competence, but it was about opportunity. Uh, there was uh, the opportunity presented itself for assorted reasons to which I was not privy. But will I work? You bet. I'm a freelancer. 
if I'm not working, I'm not earning. So if someone asks me to work, yes, I will. So I was honored to be asked and I did it until I couldn't do it anymore for various other labor reasons. Fair enough. Fair enough. And with that, I think we'll move away from specific characters just for a moment um, and sure. move into the actual dubbing and I guess how dubbing an anime is over dubbing. Uh, I guess, what would be considered a Western uh, show. So I guess, could you explain the process for process for most dubbing very briefly? Sure. In Japan, they do it the hard way, or at least what I would consider the hard way. The animation gets finished. The actors gather in a room, watching a screen, watch it and dub it live. When their character comes on screen, they step up to the microphone, do the lines. The flap may or may not match. And uh, that's their dubbing process. Here, at least from the time I've been doing it, I don't know how it was done before, but I imagine there was lots of magnetic tape and film reels involved. But when I started, it was already, already all digital, the magic of Pro Tools. And we would go, and we still go line by line, matching the flap on the screen. And if it doesn't match, we go back and either pause here, a little faster here, maybe take a breath here, or we can fix that post or right now as we're as you're sitting here chop chop squeeze squeeze hey it sounds better now um so the engineers get a lot of the credit for what i do i sometimes match the flap sometimes i'm better at it at other times but every take is massaged a little bit before i move on to the next line Fair, fair. I think with that, you've kind of answered my next question once again. Uh, I was going to ask, have you found yourself enjoying dubbing over Japanese shows, or do you find yourself preferring that of an English-written uh, show? It comes down to the adaptation. As long as it's well-adapted, there are some studios, I won't name them yet, maybe later, that don't have the best adapters, and we spend much of our time during the session rewriting the script. That doesn't fit. We better add some words. We better move some words around. We better lose some words. Okay, you couldn't have checked this before? Well, fine, here we are. But as far as the genres, I dubbing from one language to another, because I've done Russian and Chinese and Turkish, that's not as different. The difference is a dub versus a prelay show where you're recording the dialogue before it gets animated and you have the ultimate freedom, well, within reason. I'm going to take an hour to say this line. No, you're not. But you're not constrained to... This line lasts three and a half seconds. Go. It's not overly challenging after all these years, but it's a little constraining, especially coming from radio where that's not a thing. In radio, you're constrained to maybe a 30 second or 67 second, hello, 30 second or 60 second commercial, but you're not constrained to, with the exception of a jingle donut where you've got seven seconds, go. Most of the time, you're not that tightly constrained for space. Fair enough, fair enough. And I guess we'll move into some more specific roles here. Um, and I guess move before we do, actually. You've worked with groups uh, such as 4Kids, obviously, and Studioopolis. Uh, could you explain in a very brief manner uh, what it's like working with these groups um, in the voice acting business? Sure. They, with, again, certain exceptions I'm not ready to name just yet, studios are the greatest places ever. We are freelancers. We don't work there. We visit there. We are honored guests. We are there for the duration of our session, and then we move on to another session somewhere else if we're lucky, or probably we go home and look for more work. Or in the days of pre-pandemic, we go to, an, to a casting studio and audition for other work. But generally, studios are glad to see you. 
they are uh, always in, uh, well, depending on their deadlines, they're usually in a fun, jovial, joking mood. So lots of fun. There are some studios, again, not naming names. Um, they are not known for their people skills. And those are a bit more of a chore to work for. But usually any studio that knows what they're doing knows if the talent's having fun, the show's going to come out good. So let's all have fun. And they do. And we do. Fair enough. Fair enough. And I guess these two questions lead into each other. So obviously you've worked in some pretty cult classic animes, such as uh, Berserk, as I mentioned before, you played Klobowitz, and uh, you played Meat in Muscle Man. Uh, those two have, have come down in history as very much cult classics. Uh, could you explain how you found yourself in those roles specifically, and I guess those roles as a whole, how you go about getting into that voice and that, I guess, feel? Sure. Networking, again, is the big answer. Uh, Berserk was dubbed by NYAV Post, who also dubbed the aforementioned Demon Fighter Kocho. You might want to compare the two and see how their skills improved and my skills improved. But Demon Fighter Kocho was first. Berserk was a year or two later. I auditioned for, for Adan Krobowitz, booked it. We did Berserk. It was fantastic. And then for uh, Ultimate Muscle, Kind of paralleling that, if I get my facts straight, and you can Google it to correct me, but Ultimate Muscle, one of the first, first shows I did at Four Kids, which would have been 2002, one, 2001 would have been. That was uh, with directed by the lovely and talented Eric Stewart, who directed the Pokemon episode I did first. He remembered me when he was trying to cast the show and said, oh, you'll be good for this, come here. The audition for Berserk specifically... I think I just, I saw the character and it was a big burly guy. I gave it a big burly voice. Many people now will compare it to the Dr. Eggman voice. And I am quick to point out, I booked a Don first. So if anything, Eggman sounds like a Don. So if you're finding that comparison, follow the chronology. Berserk had, Don had the voice first. But the point being, there was no conscious replication. If you listen to the early episodes of Sonic X, Dr. Eggman sounds a little different. He was very much deeper in Dean Bristol. And they, uh, the direction I was given a few episodes in was we want to mess around with the voice a little bit uh, to make it sound, uh, take an influence from Jiminy Glick, the Martin Short character, uh, whose interviewing style starts up way up high and then goes way down low. So there are a lot more peaks and valleys in Dr. Eggman currently, which kind of mimics what uh, Adan sounded like in the original and the sequel in Berserk. And then for Mead and Ultimate Muscle, it's a very interesting comparison if you compare the Japanese, where Mead was voiced by a woman with a high squeaky voice. For kids who did adaptations, not uh, translations, direct translations necessarily, said, we want to go for something different. We're not sure what we want, but maybe we want a truck driver voice. I said, oh, you want a truck driver voice? I got one right here. <laughs> tried it they liked it and the rest as they say is history fair 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 i will say um someone who watched berserk uh at least the dub uh after watching um sonic x i did notice that uh comparison and it stood out to me very heavily and it was one of my favorite things listening to it because i just i could not get away from kind of comparing the two characters um but it's a purely physiological thing of where the voice naturally settled um, I guess I found a comfortable placement for Adon and Dr. Eggman, I found the same comfortable 
set in placement. And I never thought of the two simultaneously because I was never working on the two simultaneously. Berserk was in the past by the time I booked Dr. Eggman. And it wasn't something I thought about until eager listeners said, hey, this sounds similar. Okay. And I would point out that if you listen to both, there are subtleties that are different. There are different types of anger and hatred, but I don't want to nitpick acting choices when <laughs> that might be boring to non-acting professionals. Fair enough, fair enough. And I guess we'll move into our last uh, section of questions here. Uh, in a very brief manner, are you able to uh, explain the typical day's work of a voiceover artist and maybe any tips you can give anyone looking to get into this part of the industry more, I guess, close to where you are. Sure. Actors are freelancers. Actors' default state is unemployment. Uh, the actors you see on TV or in films have booked a really big gig. They're employed for the duration of that gig. The movie ends, the show ends, they're out of work, and they're looking for more work. Voiceover work is the equivalent of a short-order cook at a diner. We are constantly preparing for little bits of work because voiceover sessions may take up to four hours. Um, they're very often shorter. I've worked for 10 minutes or fewer on things. But because of that, there's plenty of room to fill the empty space with other stuff. So the main work that an actor does, especially in voiceover, is auditioning. I am constantly looking for work. And that is the work of being an actor. The actual work of acting is the joy and the fun. Getting to the place of the actual work is a challenge. So if you want, want to be an actor, you better get used to rejection. The common wisdom that I will get you to shortcut to get to uh, dealing with rejection, you do an audition, you forget about it. If you're going to a, a casting house, you walk out the door, you leave it in the booth. If you're auditioning from home, you close one email, move on to the next email with your next audition. If they want you, they'll call you. If they don't want you, don't agonize. Don't, don't live in the past. You focus on the work you're going to get and ignore the work that other that, that you don't get. The weird thing is when you audition for something such as an advertisement and then you don't book it, but you hear who they did book because it's airing on radio or TV. And you're saying, well, your first reaction, if you're me, is why do, the, why do those words sound familiar? Oh, I read for that. Oh, that's what they went with? Well, gee, had I known that's what they wanted, I would have done something differently. Eh, oh, well, that's life. If you want to be a voice actor, please learn to act. Don't listen to your friends who say, you've got a great voice, you should be a voice actor. It's more than just being a great voice. If you have a fancy car, but you don't know how to drive it, that's not a very useful fancy car. Learn how to make your instrument do stuff rather than look nice or sound nice. Fair enough. That's actually, I like that, uh, that bit of tipping. Um, so I, one question that I, I, I had a friend of mine ask me to ask is, uh, how has the voice uh, acting landscape changed since you started? In the old days, it was all, the old days, hi, since the turn of the century, which it was, um, it was all out of the house. So I started working a very, an, an, an allied radio gig at a radio syndication company. I would write comedy bits and news content to be distributed to radio stations around the country and possibly a few around the world. While I was doing that and there were various staffing issues, again, staffing issues play a big role apparently in life. Uh, they sold the company. They laid off some old time employees like me. So I had a couple months off 
unexpectedly. And I was able to put together my demo and that's when I started shopping stuff around. And that's when the groundwork of this current line of what I do began. So I booked the Pokemon thing, I booked the anime stuff. And then when I returned to work, because I said, we got to lay you off temporarily. We want to bring you back. So we'll see in a few months. By the time I came back, I was doing this other voiceover stuff, which was technically, in many cases, a lot more fun. So I said, great, it's great to be back, but I have this other thing going on. So, well, if you can sneak out during lunch, I guess that's okay. Just come back. The lunch hours eventually stretched to lunch two hours, got the voice very annoyed for various other reasons. I was relieved of that position. But during that time, I was working in Manhattan. I was able to skip out of work, go to auditions, go to bookings, get back to work, get away with it. When that gig kicked me to the curb, as I mentioned, and that was the final time radio had anything to do with me, it was still all stuff in the city. Uh, I was starting to build a home studio. I had a microphone lying around. It wasn't great, but I was able to hook it up at home for auditions. And eventually I migrated to a better USB mic at the time. Not the best, but it worked for me and it was inexpensive. Used that for auditions at home and even some low budget bookings that didn't mind the USB microphone. And then when the pandemic happened, many years have passed in the interim here, but the pandemic really made everybody work from home and studio said, so when are you going to upgrade that microphone? I guess now? Great. Here's an interface. Get this interface. Here's a microphone. I'll let you borrow a microphone. There you go. You're all set. And now work is almost exclusively from home. I've been in at gigs in the city for a couple of very detailed video games that wouldn't accept anyone working from home. So it was all sanitizing microphones and masks and and alcohol wipes and air filters and what put your mask on until i leave the studio then when i'm out of the studio take your mic off do your recording put your mic on put your mask back on i've got to come back in and do something this is weird but that's the new normal at least as of now Mm. and i'm okay with that though i do prefer given the choice not having to commute or just commuting from the bedroom to the home office studio which is very convenient and as long as studios are okay with that, which they have been, it's worked out very well. Fair enough. Fair enough. I can't blame you for the wanting the shorter commute. Uh, and last mm-hmm. two questions before we lead off to the end. Uh, two more fun questions, I guess. If you found yourself stuck playing one of your characters for the rest of your career, do you think there's a character that you would like to play? Again, not choosing favorites, but reflecting on voices that make me laugh, because I love to laugh. Meet from Ultimate Muscle is a hilarious voice. So I could do this for, uh, you know, however long it takes until I need more lozenges. But also one of the other voices that I've been lucky enough to place onto characters I've done is Edwin, who, depending on your age, you might know as he was in Mary Poppins, his uncle Albert, but his voice was used. He was the March. uh, No, he was the Mad Hatter in the original Alice in Wonderland and impressions of him have been used as uh uncle cartoon in recent films um he was mayor mccheese in the u.s mcdonald's ads where the mcdonald land characters came to life um and that's voice hi there i'm the mayor and i used that voice for uh the mayor in sonic boom most recently and i use that voice specifically because they say we want you to voice the mayor do you have a voice in mind and i said well when i think mayor i think mayor mccheese well, the other voice I would think of would be New York Mayor Ed Koch, but that was, while I do a decent Ed Koch impression, not really on par for what they wanted for this character. But I did my Mayor McCheese, Ed Wynn, and they said, 
that's good. That'll do. So I could do that forever, too, because that is such an iconic and goofy voice. It makes me laugh. Fair enough. I like the idea of doing a goofy one for the rest of the career, if needed. Sure. Um, but uh, one last fun question. Are there any fictional characters or even non-fictional characters uh, that you would like to voice uh, at some point in the future? Like dream character. My dream character, I, again, don't have one. I love to work. You want me to work? You've got a decent budget? Thank you very much. I'll be right over. I guess a dream project would be something big and theatrical. I've been in theatrical stuff, but it's mostly limited runs at the art house theaters, uh, for obscure anime films. Uh, but something of the, uh, oh, to drop some names, a Disney or Pixar film. Those would be nice. Or a primetime TV show, Simpsons, Family Guy type of things. Those would be really cool. Um, I've gotten close to auditioning for some of them. As auditions go, didn't book them. But okay, still trying. Someday they'll they'll come to their senses and want me. Fair enough. Fingers crossed. Uh, they you. don't know what they're missing out on. Um, but of course, we are at the end. Um, so I just wanted to ask, where can people find you and... Are there any new projects uh, the world should keep an eye out for in the near future? Sure. The, uh, the best place to find me might be on Twitter where I'm It's a Mike, or my website is also matching at itsamike.com. There's, if you tap on the shopping tab or the shop tab, you'll see the Mike It Place, where not only is there merchandise of my own, like, photographs, or as I call them, photographs, which are autographed photographs, um, and autographed prints and stuff like that. And then there's also a section of the voiceover essentials that I take with me, like the um, octopus drink holder that keeps drinks from spilling in my home studio or the lozenges I like to keep with me. So if you want to be like Mike and use the same stuff I do, like these fancy magnetic reading glasses that I have, hey, look at me. Those are available too. Um, and as far as stuff, there's a couple of the big video games that I mentioned that brought me into Manhattan. Those will be really cool, but those are under non-disclosure agreements. So all I can say without saying anything is they're not Sonic related. Um, they might involve a popular franchise universe you've heard of. And I've already said too much stuff that is coming out or, or is in progress. There's a podcast called Earth Eclipsed. If you search for Earth Eclipse and the Lunar Company, I am in a future episode. I shouldn't spoil it by saying which episode I'm in, but um, they just released episode one. I'm not in that, and I'm not in a few more until the one I'm in. But when I'm in, it's a very dramatic role departure from the Dr. Eggman you're used to. Um, and recently, the folks at Funimation have been putting me in a lot of their stuff. So however you get your Funimation products, watch for me in those. Um, Dragon Goes House Hunting is one that I'm in that people have liked, where I'm also the narrator. Um, and some other stuff, I have lots of little bit parts. Um, I'm trying to think of anything big and worth watching, and I can't think of any right now. And there's awesome. Sonic stuff in the pipeline, so stay tuned for that. Awesome, awesome. Uh, just one last time from the entire Player One team and the entire Sin team as a whole, uh, thank you for being a part of the show and um, giving us your time. Sure, thank you for having me. I'm, I'm glad the car studio worked out. <laughs> me too, me too. Thank you.